Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. It's season four, and I'm kicking things off by sharing with you a snippet of my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right, because we're celebrating the release of the audio version of the book. I've had a lot of people reach out and ask if I had an audio version, and now I do. In just a few weeks, we'll be launching it. So we're devoting today's episode to the book, and I'll be focusing on its themes on social media in the upcoming weeks. We're rolling out a new cover, and I even tweaked one of the chapters to make sure I paid enough attention to the reality of the dating app scene, which I hear from so many of you is just so frustrating. So before we get to the portion of the book I'm sharing with you today, I thought I should just delve into the why. Why did I write a book? There's a lot of books out there. And what did I believe I had to contribute to the discourse on dating and single life? Well, essentially, I wrote the book that I wish had been available to me when I was single for all those years. Like many of us, After going through heartache after heartache and dating so many guys and wondering at times, am I doing something wrong? Am I messing something up? Why am I always so unlucky in love? So to answer this question, I did what so many of us do. I went to the self-help section and I went to the relationship aisle and tried to find a book to help me understand what was going on with me. But I can tell you, and I'm sure many of you have had this same experience, I would pick up a book and the title would be something like, Find Mr. Right in Six Months Using This Foolproof Plan. And I'd be like, really? So I just have to do these five steps that I'm not doing and then he's going to show up tomorrow? They just seemed very formulaic. And also... They seemed pretty disparaging because the subtext or not so subtle subtext was you need to change yourself. You're flawed. You're fundamentally broken. And that's why you can't get a relationship to work. And I remember thinking, okay, I know that I'm human and I am flawed, certainly. But let's be honest, we all are. And I know a lot of women who are happily married who are just as flawed as me, but no one is identifying all the things they're doing wrong in their marriage because they are married. And we live in a society where the norm is after a certain age, you should be married. And if you're not, people don't go, oh, I guess it just hasn't happened yet for her. They go, what is she doing wrong? And I really took issue with this because essentially it hurt. I thought, I'm here at the self-help section trying to feel empowered, feel encouraged, and I feel the opposite. 
I feel like all these authors are telling me you're a train wreck. You need to change everything about yourself. And then maybe you'll snag a man because you clearly have no clue what you're doing. So I'd walk away from the self-help section feeling not helped and feeling worse than when I showed up. Now, to be fair, I believe the authors had absolutely the best intentions. They wanted to help. They wanted to offer the best recommendations they possibly could. But from my perspective, they often just felt out of touch. And I remember driving home from the bookstore. I was home visiting my parents and we're just nerds. So we hang out at bookstores sometimes when the family is together. So we were coming home from a bookstore and I was telling my parents and I was in my late thirties at that time. And I was telling them exactly what I'm telling you. My response to the titles that I had just perused in the self-help section. And I looked at them and I said, you know, isn't it possible that single women just haven't met the right person yet? But no one seems to acknowledge that. And my dad was like, well, you're a psychologist. Why don't you write that book? (laughs) I thought, he's right. I better write that book. So I did. So as I started to prepare for the book, I thought about all the things I'd been told, all the reasons people gave me for why I was, quote, still single, all the things my mother had heard, Karen must be too picky, or Karen got a PhD, I bet she intimidates the men. And I thought, no one is speaking to the reality that sometimes a single woman is single because she's not going to settle. Sometimes a single woman is single because she simply hasn't met a man who can reach her standards. And instead of single shaming these women, how about we applaud them for maintaining these high standards, for staying true to themselves and for not settling like, frankly, many people do. But no one points the finger at the people who settle because they got married at the quote unquote appropriate time. So clearly I had something to say about the issue, which is why I wrote the book. And I'm so excited to share a portion of it with you today Like I said, we're going to celebrate the launch with a new book cover for the hard copy. Of course, the e-version has been available and will continue to be available. And I'm going to roll out some supplemental resources like book club questions and journal prompts so that you can really dig into the meat of the material. Also, just so you know, it's a fun read. It's meant to be a shot in the arm, a word of encouragement and empowerment. But of course, there's some psych research woven throughout, which I know you appreciate because I hear it from you when you guys give me feedback about episodes. And if you're interested in those supplementals for the book, be sure you're checking out my website, loveandlifemedia.com. You'll find them there. At the end of the episode, I'll answer a question from a listener who has a hard time trusting men, even in the early stages of relationships. And she's wondering if this is related to a hideously painful breakup she endured years ago. Chapter one, 
it's not your fault. So stop beating yourself up. Quote, I'm totally fed up hearing comments implying there's something wrong with me just because I don't have a man. Statements like that are hurtful. It's really sad that people see being single as meaning there's something wrong with you. And I'm so over all the lame advice about how to meet someone. Allison, 26. It's not your fault you're still single. Yes, you read that correctly. Read it again if you need to. Let it sink in. You haven't done anything wrong, and you don't need to change anything about yourself in order to find the one. Seriously, I know some of you don't believe me, and it may take the entire book for you to internalize this, but it's not your fault you haven't met him. It just hasn't happened yet. Not that I'm surprised by your resistance. I know what I'm up against. You probably aren't hearing this sort of perspective anywhere else. In fact, if you've been single for any length of time, you've likely endured plenty of allegations bearing the exact opposite sentiment. Friends ask about your relationships in a sleuth-like manner, searching for clues as to where you're screwing up. So what exactly happened with Kevin? I thought this one was finally working out. Sometimes they're teasing subtly veils accusations. Honey, what's going on? You always chase the good ones away. Or, have you ever thought about getting a little therapy to figure this stuff out? Then again, the occasional aunt, brother, or coworker blatantly accuses your way to fill in the blank. No wonder you're still single. Even if you're lucky enough to have sensitive friends and strong family support, you still get hit by the antagonistic portrayals of single women so firmly embedded in our mass media and pop culture. Consider chick flicks depicting quirky, lovelorn women who, after Pygmalion-esque metamorphoses, emerge fixed and finally suitable for marriage. Or flip through the latest issue of any number of women's magazines. Notice the attention devoted to helping single women identify dating don'ts, the real reason he didn't call. Or needy moves you must nix, nine ways women come off as too dependent. By our late 20s, if not sooner, we get the picture. Something's drastically wrong with us, or else we'd have already snagged ourselves a man. Caving under the onslaught of messages from rom-coms, fashion mags, and our Aunt Barbara, we internalize the undesirable truth. Face it, we tell ourselves, the common denominator in all my failed relationships is me. I'm doing something wrong. It's my fault I'm single. Psych 101. Why we do it. Why do we blame ourselves? Why take the brunt of it? Why believe it's entirely our fault we're still single? Actually, there's a bit of twisted logic at work here. By blaming ourselves, we gain a measure of control. That's right. Rather than revealing some inveterate self-loathing, the masochistic blame game merely exposes a need for control. Thanks, you're saying. Now you're calling us all control freaks. 
Well, maybe not freaks, but we do like our control. It's only natural. Think about it. In today's world, women have more command over more areas of our lives than ever before. We take charge of our education, strategically maneuver our career, and independently manage our finances. When things go wrong in one of these areas, we know who the culprit is, us. We've dropped the ball or taken a wrong turn. So when something's a muck in our love life, such as we don't have one, we come to the same conclusion. We must have screwed it up. In targeting ourselves, we begin a nasty regimen of self-blame that, although a bit painful at first, ultimately produces hope. Wait, you're saying, blame leads to hope? Exactly how does that work? Simple. It puts the control in our hands right where we like it. We tell ourselves, if I'm the one ruining my love life, then I'm the one who can fix it. All I have to do is go to Barnes & Noble, find the right book, and become an entirely different person. Then I'll find true love and lasting happiness. Problem solved. I mean, consider the alternative. If it's not our fault we're single, who gets the blame? God? Fate? The universe? These forces lie well beyond our jurisdiction. If they're responsible, there's nothing we can do about it. But if it's our misstep, we can correct it. So while I hate hearing my smart, sexy, savvy single friends berate themselves for tragic flaws, tacky habits, and troublesome neuroses, I get it. I get why they adopt this diffident demeanor and denounce their defects. The self-inflicted sucker punches are well worth it. They allow us to feel in control. It just hasn't happened yet. But just because I get it doesn't mean I support it. It's tough enough that our love lives haven't played out as planned. Yet we go and exacerbate the situation by accusing ourselves of ruining our chances for romance? More pain. And to control the situation, we try to correct the, quote, problem by taking charge as we would at the office. We conduct a needs-based assessment, identify weaknesses, and submit a detailed analysis with suggestions for revision, all in anticipation of increased outcomes. Except in this case, the needs-based assessment is conducted on us. The weaknesses identified target our core unique qualities. Suggestions for revision may or may not be realistic. Increased outcomes? After ripping our egos to shreds? I don't think so. How cruel. Guilty of destroying our love lives, we scrutinize ourselves, pinpointing some random personality trait physical imperfection, or emotional idiosyncrasy that must go in order for us to prove acceptable to the opposite sex? Talk about kicking a girl when she's down. And the worst part? We're not controlling a darn thing. We're just beating ourselves up. This exercise and masochism doesn't bring us any closer to love and happiness. 
Give me a break. All we've done is lowered our self-esteem in efforts to correct a situation that actually we can't do anything about anyway. Nice. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. Hi, Dr. Karen. I'm hoping that you can help me shed some light on uh, something that I've been contemplating lately. I've noticed that a pattern in new relationships is that I often find myself questioning someone's ability to be trustworthy based on if they have integrity. And when I mean integrity, I mean keeping their word. Sometimes simple uh, gestures such as, hey, I'll give you a call this weekend on Sunday evening when they don't fall through on that and then don't even acknowledge it later on finds me often questioning them right from the get-go. I'm realizing that this is happening more and more, and my anxiety about it is leading me to believe that it all surrounds about an old wound that I had from several decades ago. I was in my early 20s, and I moved to Las Vegas to be with a guy that I was very much in love with and had been dating a few years prior. We reconnected, and I decided to start a new life with him across the country. It was a pretty big deal for me. After several months, through circumstances beyond um, their control, they were having to relocate for a new job. And it was decided that I was going to have to move back to where my parents were just to get things settled while they moved into the new area. They put me on a plane safely to send me back to my family, kissed me goodbye and said that they would call me that night. And then they didn't call me that night. I didn't think anything of it. Three days later when they didn't call me back, I was so confused. So I reached out to a mutual friend who later shared with me that they had no intention of actually ever contacting me ever again. That they had simply just put me on the plane, all with the hopes and dreams that we were going to start our new life again somewhere else, with no intention. That wound, I know, still carries with me to this day. And I often find that every time I get in a situation where someone's not keeping their word, it starts picking away at that old wound. I want to be someone who is empathetic and not so rigid to hold someone to such a high esteem that sometimes there are circumstances where someone just doesn't keep their word and that they doesn't indicate that they are necessarily someone who um, is not trustworthy. But this is happening early on in the relationship where I'm feeling the most vulnerable. Is this something that I should still just go with my gut? Or is this something that maybe I need to spend some time healing inside of myself? How do you even begin to stop yourself 
from wanting to run every time someone doesn't keep their word. Thanks so much for your help. So you've been through something pretty unbelievable. To date someone for a couple years, move with them to Las Vegas, and then be told, I got to relocate, but you're coming with me. Just go home for a little bit until I get settled and never hear from him again. That's hideous, horribly painful. So first of all, I just want to say, I'm so sorry you went through that. And as you relate what you're currently dealing with and what you are concerned with that perhaps maybe you're holding people to this high bar and this high expectation because you went through that, I actually think that your expectations of people that you are beginning to date, I don't even think that's unrealistic or bad at all, or even necessarily related to what you went through. What I mean is that if someone says they're going to call on Sunday, they should call on Sunday. And if they can't call on Sunday, it takes, what, 13 seconds to text you and say, hey, I know we were supposed to talk tonight, but something came up. I'll call you tomorrow or I'll call you Tuesday. To me, that's a very reasonable standard for you to have that people do what they say they're going to do. And you mentioned being less rigid about that. I would recommend you not be less rigid because what you're doing is watching someone. I talk about this all the time. When you first get to know someone, you watch their behavior. You're gathering information. Dating is the process of seeing who this person actually is and if that person is a fit for you. And it sounds like you and I'm like this and I never went through something hideous like you did. But if someone says they're going to do something, I expect them to do it. And whether it's a boyfriend or a friend or a family member, I think that's reasonable. If you're not going to do it, don't say it. Or if you say you're going to do it and you can't, then the next time we talk, just have an explanation. So I don't think that you're being unreasonable. And I actually think you're being wise because you're keeping your standards high. And this begins even in the first couple weeks of knowing someone. And the research shows that high standards when dating are related to high standard marriages. I think it's an appropriate expectation. And frankly, it's just common courtesy. Now, if you start dating someone and you really are into him and maybe one time he says he's going to call you on Tuesday night and he doesn't, well, Okay, maybe give him a pass. And then the second time that he doesn't do it. At that point, you go either A, this person doesn't keep his word or B, I like this guy and maybe he just wasn't raised right. I mean, we all have those friends who just are flaky or selfish or to my mind, disrespectful, but we give them a pass, but we also recognize that we can't count on them all the time, right? We don't look at someone's behavior and when they bail out time and time again, or they say they're going to come to our party and they don't show, and that happens a couple times, we notice that and we recognize there are people in my life I can count on. There are people in my life who are a good time if they show up, but I don't know if they're going to show up. So with someone that you really think there's some potential there, I think it's perfectly valid to say, by the way, I'm the type of person who, if I tell you I'm going to call you on Sunday, 
I'm calling you on Sunday. And if I can't, I'm definitely going to text you to let you know that it just something came up. And I don't even think you need to go into the whole history with your ex. I mean, maybe later in the relationship, but not in the first couple of weeks. I don't think you have to, because I feel like you, you see yourself as kind of rigid about this stuff based on what you went through, but I don't think you're that rigid. I think you're a polite person who does what she says she's going to do. And you'd like the same in a relationship, which I think is very normal and very reasonable and very wise. So for you to have the conversation of this is how I communicate and that's what works for me in relationships, that's great. Because like I said, we have those friends that we don't count on, but that's not the kind of person who we end up marrying because of all the people in our lives, the person we marry should be the person we can absolutely take at their word. So to wrap up, if a guy you're just getting to know doesn't do what he says he's going to do a couple of times, I think it's very smart to either see him as someone who isn't trustworthy because that's who he's showing you to be. Or if you do think this is a good guy and you do think there's potential, have that conversation about this is how I communicate. I find it to be polite and respectful and that's what works for me. And then if he doesn't communicate in that way, then it's not a fit for you. You know, Dr. Phil says we teach people how to treat us. So by you saying something early on, you're teaching him how to treat you. And then you just watch and see what he does. And as Maya Angelou says, when people show you who they are, believe them. And again, I do want to reiterate, I don't think that this has all that much to do with your past, really. And I don't say that to minimize what you went through. I just want to underscore that your approach to dating and getting to know someone is rational. You're loving smarter, not harder. And you're not asking anything from anyone that you aren't willing to give in return. And you absolutely deserve the same respect, consideration, and courtesy. The love and life hack for this week is... Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. I'm thrilled you're here with me for season four. There's so much great stuff ahead. We'll be talking to therapists, psychologists, authors. Every episode is devoted to helping us all level up in love and life. So stay tuned. Take charge of your thoughts take charge of your life. Thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.